HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to our holiday special here on Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, this is a Drunken Cheese Stories episode for 2015, so go grab a beer or some grain alcohol, whatever you like, and listen up. Uh, you know, if you're going to the bathroom and you're shy about drinking in your bathroom, it's okay. I drink in my bathroom all the time. Um, I want to... Uh, <laughs> you too? Yeah. Oh, God. I'm glad I'm not the only Got a beer one. going in the shower. Got a beer going when I'm indisposed. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> before I intro my guest today, I want to remind everyone out there to donate to the Heritage Radio Network. If you love this show and if you love food radio, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So we rely on the support of our members and donors to get our food stories out there. Make your, make your tax-deductible donation today. And we're so grateful for anything that you can give. Yay. Yeah. So. It's the end of the year, right? All these like wealthy cheese lovers need their tax break. There are wealthy cheese lovers? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're out there <laughs> somewhere. There yeah. are. Yeah. I know one. So today, I'm lucky enough to have um, a founder of Cutting the Curd and a very special lady, Ann Sachs, will be in the booth with us today. Yay. Thank you for having me. This is so great. Having you on your own show. That's fantastic. You're able to find your way here, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so great, though. Now I don't have to plan. I just show up and Greg like says all the smart stuff. Yeah. I just don't say what Emily tells me to say. <laughs> um, we have Max McCallman, a man who needs no introduction in the booth of us today. Thanks, Max, for coming and uh, hanging out with us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, brother. And then um, live, I you know, on the on the phone from the Maximum Security Correctional Facility in Walpole, <laughs> Mass. Um, Matt Rubiner, how's uh, that orange jumpsuit? <laughs> orange jumpsuit treating you there, buddy? Looking sharp. Looking sharp. Yeah, that's awesome. How's the cheese in prison? 
<laughs> it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Gummit. Gummit cheese. That has some very fancy inmates with him up there. He's always like hobnobbing with Ruth Reichel in prison. You know? Do, they, do you guys drink that fermented yeah, radiator beverage? Security. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so, so to start off our holiday drunk cheese story, story special... I'm not even drunk, and I can't pronounce anything. Right, well, I'm never, well, I'm never clear on the rules. Now, are we supposed to be recounting tales of Christmases um, past where we were drunk, or are we supposed to be drunk now while we're telling general stories about Christmas? You're just going to listen, and I'm going to tell you what to do. That's how this right. is going to work. Because I'm doing easier. shots of Armagnac up here. Just ah, nice, <laughs> nice. Can't you also, like, run a lawnmower on that? Is that, like, uh, <laughs> 260 proof booze? Um, so I wanted to start with you, Max, and I was wondering if maybe you could tell me what, you know, because uh, I want to reflect on the year in cheese and ask all of you what your best cheese moment was this year. What was your best cheese moment, oh, Max? Oh, gosh. So many bad ones. <laughs> Those yeah, are good, too. Yeah. But, uh, gosh, I don't know. Too many to number. Uh, too many to uh, remember. Actually, uh, the last cheese that I put in my mouth was the best moment I had, and that was just last night. I had an age Comte from... Uh, Marcel Petit. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was, and Emily picked it out, and uh, she offered me a taste of it, and, um, and I had it last night, uh, and uh, I had more, and uh, had a little bit more. And what, I, what made it so special was, I think, well, besides that she picked out exactly what she was looking for, do you have any of that left? I don't know if there's any of that left at uh, Italy or not. But uh, it we've been was, selling it a lot. I'll bet. It, I'll bet it's gone. It's only eighty pounds. How long does it take to go to eight, go through eighty pounds at Italy? About twenty minutes. Yeah, well, that's right. So <laughs> I, I guess I got some of the last of it, but it was uh, it was sublime, and that was. I think that's probably one of the highlights. Uh, like I said, the last cheese I played in my mouth, and that was. I think that was it. Okay. It was the Comte. Well, in the booth with us today, out. I want to say, oh, Emily, the Emily Max referred to as our, as our producer, it's silent uh, gal, Emily Acosta. How are you, Emily? Just want to say hello? Hello. I'm in here every week, but I, I like to just watch. We've got to get her liquored up so then she'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> All good. <laughs> oh, so my, uh, my best cheese moment. Oh, my God. That's like a really, uh, it's a really hard question. Um, uh, I mean, well, recent memory, we did, we always do like a, like a Saxelby staff potluck for the holidays to like, you know, get everybody in the good holiday spirit. <laughs> and, uh, and by potluck, we basically just like go to the store and like buy a bunch of stuff. And then everyone sits around the table at our windowless cheese cave and, and eats a lot of cheese. So, um, this year we did raclette, um, and it was really, really fun, um, I, I guess it was like my best and my worst cheese moment because I actually I actually overdid it, which I feel like for me is pretty hard to do. I feel like I could put away more than like probably a half pound of cheese in a sitting. I mean, when it's like melted like that. And maybe not. Maybe even when it's just at room temp. But um, I really enjoyed it. And then I felt really bad afterwards. A little blockage. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of blockage. Just like I just went home and drank some Diet Coke. You know, oh, I was like, oh, I never drink ooh. Diet Coke. But I was just like, I need some bubbles. You know, <laughs> something's got to give. But um, another good cheese moment this year. I mean, um, I feel like I've been really excited to be working with um, Benton and Susan over at Crown Finish Caves. Oh, yeah. And uh, their paymaster is one of my favorite cheeses of recent memory. Um, my one of my favorite cheeses in general is Langra, and I feel like you know that like is is getting there. You know, it's like approximating what I love about about Langra. So that was a really nice, uh, yeah. Well, that was Langra's. 
Langers. Langers. And Buford. <laughs> Buford. <laughs> and Brebus. Brebus. <laughs> Tom Brebus. Tom Brebus. Tom Brebus, the yeah. yokel. I get a lot of requests for Asagio. That's going to be some Asagio. Manchango. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Ruben? Are you eat a lot of Velveeta this year? Uh, you know, no more than usual. Nice. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Pound a week. Uh, wait, am I on? Do oh, I, you're on, buddy. Do my, I, can't, I can't get out of my head some of my worst cheese moments of the year, but I did have Ooh. a couple of uh, good ones, yeah. Um, but the, the, uh, my cheese moment of the year was uh, my idol, because I'm geekish enough that I have idols in the cheese world, as I'm sure you guys do. But there's this, You're uh, my idol. Oh, you're so kind. Um, there's uh, um, that's the that's the grain alcohol in the bathroom talking. Um, the uh, there's a cheesemaker that maybe you recall from back in the day when we could import whatever the hell we wanted with Those impunity. But there's a cheesemaker in the Loire Valley, Paul Georgelet. Oh yeah, man. Oh, just the best in the world. Just the best, the best in the world. And you know, one of the the things in the current regime that I miss uh, that I miss uh, the most. And. Uh, um, he just, just absolute pure coincidence found his way to my shop in Grand oh, that's Grand. awesome. Unbelievable with a couple of tidbits um, of the uh, of uh, of the illegal variety, and man, it just I just miss that stuff so much. So that that's hands down. I think rolling this big ass uh, Emmentaler we just got up and down the street in the rain and cracking it open was pretty incredible. That's, awesome. uh, that's it. What was your worst cheese moment, please? I'm sure you had so many. Well, you know, you, you know, you know more than anyone how much I love to um, be a a judge at the American Cheese Society. Yeah, it's, man, that was one fun. of the great, great honors. Um, I know you were there. I know Max was there. And were you there? I can't remember. I wasn't there. I'm like, I'm. My daughter had the you know bad idea of being born on July 30th. You Which is going to be a problem things. for me forevermore. Yeah. So unless yeah. she's going to get on board and come to the cheese show with me, or we're going to have to figure something yeah, out. Yeah, wait till right. she's 23. Then she'll join you so, like my daughter. You know, and of will. course, there's, there's a lot of cheeses. And, you know, in my opinion, the, the, you know, the, the entry uh, requirements have probably been, you know, the bar has been, you know, removed in many cases. And, uh, and man, we had a stretch of blues there that I was just doing my best. And... To, to find something good to say, and you know, you come up, you're really stretching your powers of vocabulary to come up with something, and then, and then what happened was, in an effort to counteract the, uh, and to counteract the, the, uh, the string of, of really, really, you know, challenging blues, um, I over, uh, overdosed on pineapple. Causing you know intense pain and sores that lasted for days. <laughs> Blue cheese and pineapple. Now, I don't know if that's just a you know a bad palate cleanser story or a bad cheese story or what, but god damn. And I mean, come on, Matt, you're complaining about getting the blues. Like I got like low fat chipotle cheese when oh, yeah. I judge. Hey, look, I, mean... I, I, I dream of low fat chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of like studded cheese, like Havarti with fingernail clippings. Um, uh, I got a I got an interesting uh, interesting. Couple. No, the blues are tough, though, man. And I ate some of the pineapple off that cart. Um, you know, I have to. Uh, I, I forgot there was another great cheese experience that I had uh, with Emily and others in uh, France uh, in September, where we went to um, uh, a cheese Body shop da. in Annecy, and we had, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a Persier de Tigne, the oh, real yeah, deal, and uh, we also had a Bleu de Tamignon, the real deal. And just to keep things interesting, we also include that little conical-shaped cheese from. Uh, from northern France, the Dauphine one, or no? No, this is the this is the bad one. 
Uh, it's so bad you'll think it's good. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like an fuego on a bad date. Um, the uh, Porto Brie? No, no, it's uh, gosh, it's got the, it's, it's got, got stuff. It has in it. the paprika on it? it. Yeah. yeah. What is that called? Oh. God. All right. That that's your quiz. That's your boulette d'avene. Yes. Exactly. That's the one. Ding, 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 ding. We'll Matt, get you a you parole win. hearing for that one, dude. <laughs> boulette d'avene. Yeah, it is frightening. Man, everyone looked at me like. Uh, are you for real? Now, are you an expert here? Uh, and so the people around the room, but uh, but people did like the uh, Percy de Tigna. That was a favorite. And the Bouge Mignon, they didn't quite understand it. But, um, but it's still great. And that's, uh, I think those uh, those trips to France are, are worth every bit of it. So can't wait to go back. Yeah, those are few and far between. And the cheese with stuff in it always gets me. The those little like mole hills filled with garlic that people were always asking me for. Oh god, gaperon. Yeah, yeah, gaperon. Yeah, light that shit on fire. I don't yeah. know, man. That's, that's that's just not that's just not good stuff. Why do they do that? I don't know. Because yeah. it's made from skim milk. Yeah, uh, well, there you go. They just got to jazz stuff. it up with something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's just drained in a little basket. Yeah. Well. Boulette d'Auvergne. That's interesting. I haven't had that in... Well, I don't think I ever need to have that again. But um, you know, <laughs> Maybe not. But it's got its place. You know, it serves a purpose. <laughs> yeah, it does, actually. I think so. And I mean, like, I love... The cheese with stuff in it that I love is, like... I love, like, pimento cheese. Mm. I have, like, a real... Like soft spot in my heart for like pimento cheese. There's nothing I, wrong with that. No, it's no. so good. It's so good. I was surprised uh, this past weekend. I was judging at the Pennsylvania Cheese Show, um, no Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Farm Show Cheese Contest, and there was a um, absence of uh, relative absence, I should say, of flavored cheeses. A lot of it was very, very good. And Pennsylvania is a big state, and so I'm looking for great things uh, in the future. Come well, at least things that are available to us uh, coming from Pennsylvania uh, because it has a history of uh, a daring uh, that is um, very long and a lot of success. Not just the Amish, but others too. And I can't tell you what the best in show was, but um, not until mid-January, so we'll come back and talk about that then. It was phenomenal. The cheese I used to carry. That's awesome. So I wanted to uh, throw another question out for you. We did a little year in review thing. And um, Anna, um, did you discover an amazing cheese this year? And if so, what was it? Oh, man. Well, I guess I mean, I guess I kind of lumped that into my first answer. Paymaster was certainly one. That was your discovery. Yeah, I really like that a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff. Can I pass and I'll, I'll... Come back to me. I'm going to think of more cheese. Sure, Rubiner. What's, uh, what's your, what, what did you uh, discover this year that you liked? Well, first, let me interrupt. I hope everybody saw me uh, on uh, yesterday's holiday special on the Barefoot Contessa with Ina Garten. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm not allowed Ooh. to have a TV you in the hospital. You fancy boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What did you and Ina talk about? Anyway, it airs five more times before Christmas. What was the question? <laughs> no, no, no. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. Please. Oh, yeah, no, no. The, uh, the uh, um, Ina, as I call her, um, came up to the Berkshires to film her holiday special. Of course, she, they do it well in advance, and they have to do it during winter. They can't just come up and say July or something and do this. So they did it in February, and so we had to completely re-Christmasify you know, Christmasify the store and hang all sorts of baubles and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I did a... Uh, um, we, we, it was a reputable-looking fake Christmas, and, and 
you know, it's I'm 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 not usually uh, very pleased with myself on on TV. I'm you know I, my voice sort of or the radio for that matter. My voice sort of goes up, gets even more whiny as as you know as as, 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 as effeminate as uh, uh, you know as, as as acceptable and and but uh, you know. My wife told me I looked all right, so that's all I need. Your mom says you're cool, man. So what is that? Says, what is uh, what does Rubiners look like at Christmas time? Oh man, this year we got the most brilliant. Like you know, this woman who does our, all of our you know decorations. She's just a you know genius with a capital G. But she does some crazy shit. Like this year, she decided to paint all the. This isn't going to do her justice, but she's going to. She decided to spray paint all the uh, pumpkins uh, silver. And we got uh, this giant ball made from uh, pignoli cones that she found out west before they were extinct, and these huge boughs of tamarack and and uh, magnolia, and uh, we have a a wreath that looks faintly like um, you know the 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 Grinch's uh, the Grinch's arm hair. Oh, nice! And uh, um, I yeah, little Grinch it's hair. It's I'll send you a picture. I like it. I like it. Okay. All right. Um, I'm sorry, you had a question. Um, yeah, what's your number, buddy? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> so what I'm... Well, you called me. Oh, right. No, the radio station called you. I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'm not allowed. I just, just let me talk. Uh, my cheese discovery, was that what it was? Yes. I don't know that I, I discovered anything, but perhaps I rediscovered and, and, uh, um, are the cheeses from, uh, Ruggles Creamery in, in Hardwick, Mass., um, and I don't know how if they trickle into New York. They usually don't trickle much outside of much outside of where. You know, you know, you know where where is. Yeah, dude, I know where where mass is. Hey, <laughs> so that's basically where it is. And the most stunning, the most stunning cheeses. I mean, absolutely perfect cheeses. Uh, just for those um, who aren't familiar, what are they called? What are they like? Do you, well, they're. I mean, and you know, you know, you got to know the Ruggles cheese. Yeah, yeah, I've had those over the years. They're very good. So yeah, and, and they've just gotten better and better. They're, you know, they're all goat's milk. Um, they all are are, you know, some sort of bloomy or ashy bloomy rind. Um, one of them is raw milk and aged more. The Greta's Fairhaven, and it's and it's just really, you know, as you would expect, really spectacularly complex. Like one imagines a, you know, a much softer young kind of carocha to be. Um, and then, you know, they have of their, you know, their one with a little line of ash. And they have one, speaking of flavored cheese, that has such a delicate line of herb in the middle. And I'm, I'm famously not a, you know, a, a great admirer of flavored cheeses, but it's just so beautifully done and so delicate. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a few goats in her, and she drives it here and there. Um, it doesn't get, it doesn't get uh, um, too much outside of where. And it's so, uh, the, the, the cheeses are just stunning. I mean, they're absolutely world class. That's awesome. Yeah. So. so I want to shift gears a little bit before we go into the break, and I want to ask you a question, Anna. But can I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Yeah, Sweet. ask away. <laughs> so on our first episode of the year, um, which was our 2014 recap, we talked a little bit about cheese regulation. And we've made some progress this year um, in 2015, uh, which we talked about quite a bit over the course of the year on the show. Uh, but this past week, um, the American Cheese Society – met with the FDA and just published notes from that meeting. Uh, maybe uh, you and Max could maybe summarize what was discussed in that meeting. Do you guys um, you guys read up on that? or? 
I, uh, you know, I read the uh, ACS's response to the uh, the FDA regulation, which I thought was like, you know, incredibly well written, and I'm happy that that they're doing it because somebody's got to stand up and do it for the industry. Um, also read Jasper Hill's response, and um, I know they sent out a, a solicitation for everyone to write their uh, elected officials before the the final, you know, public comment period was over. But um, I mean, in my estimation, it seemed like. FDA was basically targeting I feel like they weren't I don't know the 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 things that they were sort of targeting as being problematic were not um indicative not of how our industry works. <laughs> you know, it was very much kind of like on the on the outskirts in some in some ways also, you know, related to, you know, raw milk that was contaminated and not even necessarily cheese, you know. So, um I, I feel like Hopefully the light has been shed that, you know, there's a lot of science that needs to be um, done to kind of, you know, prove all this stuff and reevaluate the 60-day rule. What do you think, Maxie? I'm, I'm really upset, uh, actually. And I, I, I feel like uh, I talked to Marianne Sikowski, who was in D.C. I talked with her a couple of days ago. She was uh, the, uh, the scientist uh, representing uh, the academic uh, committee, or ACS, in D.C. with Nora Weiser. And uh, her, her takeaway was that um, at least uh, we put out uh, our best effort. We have asked for collaboration. We've done that before. But we were also reminded of how, uh, how they presented themselves at the last ACS conference. And uh, we felt like, uh, I feel, I can't speak for Marianne, but I felt like uh, the, uh, the ACS got short shrift. Uh, they, I, instead of looking at um, evidence-based science, instead it seems to be looking at, uh, at uh, hysteria. And, it's, uh, and I, I, I don't really, I, now I, I trust the guys less and less. Um, I, I'm sorry to say, but, uh, but I'll just come out and say it. I, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's high time that we defend our right to choose the cheese that we want to. And I appreciate the efforts of the Cheese of Choice Coalition, but I think it does come down to individuals. They have to, they have to, they have to demand what is uh, what they're entitled to, and that is raw milk cheese. We should not have to go to France, which I love going to France with cheese journeys or whomever. We should not have to go there to get our choices of cheese. These should be available to us. I think it's not only it's not just a luxury. It's not just we're missing out on some aesthetics and raw milk cheeses, but at the same time, I think we're also missing out on nutrition. But the bigger concern right now is that this could drive a lot of cheesemakers out of business in the United States. Uh, and I, I'm concerned about, uh, about this. But we're still, we hope for the best. We always do. We're optimistic. And so we hope that the um, uh, FDA will look at, at the ACS in a different light, that we are actually professionals and we, are, we do concern ourselves with safety because we actually eat the dadgum stuff ourselves. And so uh, we're all still here. We're still alive, <laughs> and we're all just skinnier than ever. And um, so it's uh, well. Another important thing to acknowledge, I think, is just not the production of raw milk cheeses, but I think one of the important things that a lot of the respondents brought up was that a lot of this contamination happens post production um, when well, people when there absolutely. are instances of raw or pathogens, yeah, raw or pasteurized cheese. It's a post production issue, and so then how do you address that? It's not just about making these traditional cheeses; it's about the whole supply chain. 
Yep. Can I can I chime in for a second? Please. I mean, you know, if we're talking specifically about the you know the current um, the current absurdity over the non toxinogenic E. coli or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, accentuate they, that, please. You know, non toxinogenic. Thousand probable units or whatever they call it to ten or something like that, which can only be achieved you know in the most industrial settings and, and you know absent absent what to me and I'm no scientist but absent. Um, you know, um, absent what real scientists say is not real, you know, real science, um, or or at least that the FDA is making the decisions not based on the sort of refereed, peer review, um, peer reviewed research um, that should be driving these kind of policy decisions. You know, I just tend to be cynical and and think this is just you know to a great measure. Um, you know, lobby-driven protectionist bullshit. Hundred percent. And that's, that's I mean, Matteo kind of said as much as that today in a quote. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's which I mean, the, the day they ban raw milk cheese is is my last day as a cheesemonger. You know, it's, you know, we're we're trying to be the best we can be. We're trying to be world class. We're trying to represent these treasures made by artisans around the world. And I'll never, you know, as Judy Shad said to me a long time ago, never ever ever say that you can't make great cheese out of pasteurized milk. You absolutely can. But the you know the idea that we're trying to be the best at our craft yet um, we're deprived even further um, not to mention the damage to the industry but to, to be deprived further of you know the just you know what our what our stock and trade is it's just you know it's, what's the point you know every day you you'll go to work and be serving up a uh, you know a, a, if not a lesser product a product that could have been so so much better. It's just, real real hard i think it's also just kind of a function of how government works in general i feel like it's a, it's you know it's the fewer boxes to check the better or you know let's at least make it all the box on a piece of paper that we can check and so having a a, a detailed knowledge of how the product is produced from animal to finished product to supply chain that's more work probably than they are up for at this point. And so that's something that needs to be acknowledged as well. And in other countries, especially like France, the you know, food safety people work closely with the veterinary people. And you know, that's a, 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 an understanding. And I think a kind of, uh, it's illustrative of how all these things are siloed you know, in, in the United States. And though that information needs to be shared. Follow the money. That's where that's what I say. Just follow the money. Any 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 legislation that gets passed in this in this country, you just follow the money trail. You know what? There, there's 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 just financial reasons. It's a lobby. It's a lobby all over. I agree with you, Matt. A hundred percent. There's no people don't get it. The, the amount of people that get sick, which is like it's minuscule compared to things that we don't lobby out. I mean, we can still buy. I know that this is so broad, but like we we buy alcohol, we buy cigarettes, we buy we, we buy can, eggs, we can buy eggs. Yeah, we we, we, we can, can buy raw fish. Yeah, sushi. You know, that's the thing. You know, a bad a bad raw meat, bad chicken that'll yeah. knock you out. There's but, something sinister at play here. Yeah, it, there is, and and there always has been. Um, so this is the part of the holiday show where we all start drinking. Is that the point? ho ho ho? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, we're gonna take a short break now while we all. <laughs> Fire down a few some rounds happy of shots music. and anger and listen to some <laughs> happy music. We'll be right back.
paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Since we're telling drunken cheese stories here with Ann Saxelby, Max McCallman, and Matt Rubiner, I figured we should talk about cheese and alcohol pairing. Um, we'll start with you, Max, since you have a whole app just for cheese and wine pairing, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, it's, uh, it's free, available on iTunes. And uh, so it has currently it has 130 varietals, everything from Albarino to Zinfandel, and uh, only 180 cheeses, which, of course, is a fraction of the universe of cheese that are out there. But I'm waiting for images to come in from many cheesemakers uh, whose cheeses I love. So it's a pretty big app, and it has about 3,500 pairings in it, and um, I recommend it. In the future, we'll have uh, cheese and beer app and cheese and sake, cheese and whiskey, cheese and whatever. Do yeah. you have, like, algorithms <laughs> deciding these pairings for you, or how does That's, it work? Oh, yeah, it's very basic. If you're hungry and thirsty, it'll probably work. It's uh, the easiest way to make cheese and wine pairings succeed is if you're hungry and thirsty. There's also that that's anticipation. My, yeah, that's my philosophy. Right. And in more cases than not, they do work. Uh, but, um, but it's not that complicated. The very basic principles of pairing foods and wines, if you're hungry and thirsty, if it's salty, it's sweet, and all that, those all come into play. What's your favorite pairing right now, Max? Uh, a cheese that I can't get right now, a Cajun Azeiton and a, uh, and a great uh, Northern Rhone uh, Syrah. And it's one of my favorites in the world. You can get some Zimbro. It's kind of like the Azeiton. True. That's true. Yeah, but you know, I I want to I, I why can't I get the DOP cheese? I want the real deal. <laughs> I mean, Zimbro's nice. It's lovely. It's very nice cheese. Yeah, it's a good choice in a compromised universe. You know, compromised. What I mean? That's a word. <laughs> compromised milk. <laughs> yeah. Nice, Matt. Uh, last year you mented meant bleh. <clears throat> Matt. Thank you, pardon. Yes, yes. <laughs> you mentioned vintage port and Stilton and Pasito and Castelmagno as your top pairings. Uh, do you have anything amazing this year worth talking about or what? I don't know. I'm, I'm in a weird state of confusion with pairings, and I think probably a thorough examination of Max's app will uh, will help me solve. But, you know, I've been doing these wine and cheese pairing, you know, seminars, we call them, which are, which are less about, you know, me telling people what goes with what, um, and more just kind of randomly throwing, um, throwing different, you know, alcoholic beverages at cheeses and, and seeing, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, I get so confused these days, not just with a pairing of, of, you know, say, wine and cheese or beer and cheese and stuff, but, you know, the, the increasingly, you know, elaborate, um, uh, um, you know, iconoclastic pairings that, you know, people are, you know, proposing 
with cheeses. And I get, I get a little lost in, like, well, you know, what do I even mean by, you know, a successful parent? What do they, what do I mean when they go great together? Do I mean that they, they you know, the, I mean, we, we, we start with the assumption that one is going to affect the taste of the other, you know, and are we hoping that one doesn't, you know, just damage the taste of the other one? Um, one, the, the two just leave themselves, leave, uh, leave each other alone? Or are we looking for this, um, you know, as I think we are most of the time, this, you know, emergent flavor to arise from the pairing that, you know, is neither of one um, nor of the other. And that's what I think we're shooting for. Um, but so often, you know, in that, that emergent flavor is so strong, I feel like I've, you know, I've lost the cheese a little bit or I've lost the wine. Um, which I used to think was just awesome, and now I, I sort of question it. I don't know if that makes any sense. Of course it does. And then, and, and then there's some weirdo things that we've been doing that just, you know, just that are absolutely wrong. You know, we we always because we always have a blue in our in our tasting um, slate, and you know we're going to be pairing that blue with five different wines because we're pairing every wine with every cheese and see how it goes. And you know the ones that aren't supposed to work these like. Uh, um, uh, you know, like some, you know, lean, like Macon, you know, Bordeaux or, or Sancerre or something that I, that we pair with, you know, some fiery, you know, really ripe blue. And the pairing is like, at that very moment, it's like stunning. And it's, and it's like, yeah, the wine is, is, is destroyed, but it brought out every single thing you want, you know, out of the cheese really points up the moldy character and, and, uh, you know, if you were coming at it from a wine perspective, and this is another kind of complicating factor, if you were coming at it from a wine guy, you'd say, Jesus, that's a horrible pairing because it wasted the wine. But, you know, I come from a, from a cheese component, I say, geez, that thing really stripped away all the chaff from the cheese and really brought out exactly what I wanted out of the cheese. So, you know, I've been doing this for, what, 22, 23 years, and I'm just as lost as I was the day before, or the day I started. <laughs> Well, that, anyway, any of that makes sense? Not a, not a bit of it, but uh, <laughs> but really, thanks for thanks a lot for that, though. Really, <laughs> Yarmanyak talking. <laughs> That's comforting. It's comforting yeah. to know. <laughs> yeah. um, well, me personally, I mean, <laughs> I'm just coming off of well, I mean, sort of having two kids. Like my daughter is a year and a half, and my son just turned three. So I feel like, hey, if I can drink an alcoholic beverage and feel good, and not feel like shit the next day, and have a piece of cheese, I feel great because for a while I was so freaking tired <laughs> and you know it's like one little sip of anything I got a headache so now if I if I can enjoy a beer and a piece of cheese I'm but really Matt, happy Matt you're right it's like it, it, you don't it, to be told that this works with us and have these pronouncements going into uh, an event where you have uh, a cheese paired cheese number one paired with wine number one cheese number two paired with wine number two uh, well maybe that works for you but it doesn't work for me there is that level of subjectivity that comes into play that's why i like to mix it up when emily and i were in um, uh, at the epcot international food and wine festival last october uh she was uh, speaking about the italian cheeses and i was just hanging out and i said uh, let's taste the wines first give them their due and we'll try these ranges of cheeses and uh, invite people to discover for themselves what works for them and again in more cases than not they do work pretty well, which is great that they do a blend nicely together. 
Well, I, I'm mandated by the state, by about 10 states, not to uh, to have any alcoholic beverages right now. It's a condition of my parole. So um, I'm pairing cheese. you got to come up here to Walpole. Yeah. I, have, uh, I got a lot of friends up there selling cell block D. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great cell block. Um, but I, um, in, when I do have those two things, I always like um, – we started doing it at Italy, and uh, we do it a northern Italian um, – like exploratory class, uh, a bunch of robiola, and uh, and um, we always um, finish it up with uh, with a blue, and uh, so uh, two hundred day gorgonzola, gufanti two hundred day gorgonzola, and barolo quinata uh, are like incredible, <laughs> and they produce this like um, sort of marzipan aftertaste that just makes me so happy. That's what you look for. Those marriages made in heaven. Yeah. Work. The cheese is enhanced, the wine is enhanced, one plus one equals three. And it also, we get a bunch, in those classes, we have some people who are afraid of cheese. You know, Italy is like a, a place where people come to. They're all over the place. You know, and it, well, there's like a, it's a, it's a, the, the learning center there is great, but you, you know, they get a lot of people from all over. So you get a lot of people to give it as gifts or people they don't know as much. And a lot of people are deathly afraid of blue cheese. And so we come to the end of the plate and they want to taste it. And they're like, I'm not going to eat it. But usually I've gotten them drunk enough so that they'll be like, ah, screw it. I'll eat whatever you give me. And then after they have that pairing, which is the quinata is, quinata is like medicine, basically. It's like, you know, it's like herbal, like herbal tincture of like Barolo grapes and, and herbs. And, uh, and it's... But they, they love it afterwards. It's a fantastic way to finish to finish the um, the cheese plate, I thought. You know? Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> After blue, the only thing that's left is sex, right? Yeah. You, know, you have the blue cheese, and where do you go after that? And that's one thing. I think that uh, Americans have really overplayed the pairing uh, thing. I think it's a little too much. I think it's not that complicated. Do you agree, Matt? It's like, is I do. It really I, that- absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's fun. But it's kind of just what I was saying. It, you know, you're you're piling on so many flavors that you're really. I think you're just kind of, yeah. in, in so many cases, lost what, lost what you started with. Mm. So it's a good way to make money having cheese classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> we all get. We should do a cheese and sexual positions pairing class later. How about that? How does that sound? Oh no, no, no takers. Come That's on. a different Heritage Radio oh, hey. Network show. What? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to get thrown. Hey, hold out on, here. I got to take this other call. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, we're going to get in one more question in here because um, actually, I wish I could keep you guys here forever because I love you. Um, so, what are we looking forward to? in 2016 for cheese and i want to start with you max because you have an announcement to make to us is that not correct wow wow what yeah no it's just it's uh, max mccallman not I'm, matt rubiner i'm going back to uh going back to uh, the artisanal bistro um really uh, yeah so uh, i've been wow. asked to uh go back and um uh and help uh, help it uh, become an exciting uh cheese destination and uh, it already is a cheese destination, but um, I, uh, I I want to be able to do more than what I did uh, when Artisanal opened in 2001. I want to be able to to make cheese exciting. And uh, and speaking of sex, I want to help sexify cheese the best that I can because uh, uh, cheese does continue to have does continue to have a bad rap. And uh, so uh, my goal is to uh, is to present cheeses differently uh, to do something exciting and try to do it in a way that's not done the way it's done everywhere else um, and uh, so it's a uh, it'll give me a chance to uh, to uh, 
play uh, artist with cheese a little bit more. Uh, not to say that there aren't a lot of artists. I call them artists uh, that uh, make some lovely cheese displays, and that's all well and good, and cheese makers, of course. There is artistry as well as uh, crafts, craftsmanship that goes into cheese making. But what I intend to do is uh, just to, uh, is to uh, help artisanal uh, with uh, the new owner. By the way, it's not uh, Terrence anymore, but Sarid Drory. The new owner of Artisanal, he has uh, grand ambitions to uh, to uh, restore Artisanal to its uh, to its glory as a cheese destination, and that's uh, I, I feel like it's uh, it's it's the best use of my talents in the coming year. That's awesome, dude. That's really awesome. Um, I worked with you there in uh, 2003, and uh, and, yes, I, you did. and I loved and very it very well. You worked very well with us. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great time. We had so a- maybe you can come back. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Solicitations. Not I like so that. top secret dealings. I'm cutting the curd. I like it. <laughs> if you're my employer, don't listen to this. No. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Anne? What are you looking forward to? Uh, well, in the, mo- in the very immediate future, I am very much looking forward to a trip to Vermont. Uh, in January, we're going to take the whole crew from Saxelby Cheese up to Vermont for a long weekend and... We're going to visit, uh, of course, uh, Jasper Hill and uh, Twig Farm and Plowgate Creamery and um, as many other places as we can fit in along the way and just uh, have a nice little trip out of the city. I feel like, again, since I've had kids, I haven't had much of a, a chance to get out and visit producers and do that kind of thing. So I'm really looking forward to that um, and also looking forward to just seeing what people are coming up with. I feel like there's some real... Up-and-comers uh, making some great cheese, and recently we tried some stuff from like Sugar House Creamery, for example. Oh, I'm excited about them; they're they're awesome, and just uh, seeing you know more more people getting into it and getting us some good cheese. How about you, Rubes? I'm looking for uh, a year of continued solvency, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which will uh, hopefully allow me to uh, um, to uh, um, finally um, you know uphold my my annual New Year's resolution of getting the hell out of these hills um, for here and there and, and scrounging around the country for cheeses and visiting these places. But you know the uh, the old ball and chain of the store keeps you down sometimes. So. Uh, trying to get to Europe more just to poke around um, and, you know, trying to really just get my arms around, um, you know, my, my American cheese buyer went and, you know, had a kid some time ago and we've never quite recovered while the, uh, while the American, you know, the, just the sheer number of great American cheeses has exploded. And, and I, I just don't even know what's in my backyard anymore sometimes. So hmm. just got to get out there. Uh, Matt, we can, we can send you some cheese. It's cool. Just, just okay. give me a buzz. Uh, I... Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's me. So I'm going to ask one more question of our silent partner, uh, Emily Acosta. What, what do you What do you want to do, Emily, for cheese in 2016? What, what are you what, what are you most looking forward to? And welcome on the show, by the way. Thanks. I don't like to talk on the show, but we like you to. <laughs> You're out of control. Um, I'm just looking forward to more cutting the curd. Uh, this is so much fun to be here every week. Um, and hopefully more cheese travel. Last year was the, or last year, this year was the first time I got to really travel for cheese and it was amazing and eye-opening and I hope I get to do more of it in 2016. Nice. Uh, well, thank you oh, very wait, much. Oh, wait, Japan. <laughs> I, wanted to do some, I wanted to explore Japan. You For cheese That's or just, just in general? For cheese. 
Yeah, for, for cheese. cheese. We were actually yeah. uh, cool. thinking about doing a uh, Cheeses of Asia series in the new year. So Asia's hot. Yeah, yeah The absolutely. fastest growing per capita, per capita consumption of cheese is occurring in Southeast Asia right now. And the show right before ours is Japan Eats here on the Heritage Radio Network. And, um, with Akiko Katayama. With, yeah, and mm-hmm. you guys have done a sake and cheese pairing class, I believe. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, More than one, you know, sake and cheese. It's the new frontier uh, among many, you know, paired with American cheeses, too. The excitement that's occurring in the cheese world today, as we all know, is occurring right here within our shores. Uh, and it's partly because we don't have those restrictions that prohibit us from uh, taking uh, taking uh, liberties with uh, standards of making. So we don't have to follow um, the precise methods of making, which have their advantages, too, in some cases. But we, if we want to make um, something like Comte, we can make it, but uh, uh, use a different breed of cow besides uh, Montbelliard. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see that... Uh, uh, that we have that opportunity to, to mix it up. And that's what is leading to the great diversity of cheese. So looking forward to 2016, I'm looking forward to uh, our trip to Oregon uh, in March, uh, which is going to end up at the Oregon Cheese Festival. Uh, I think it's May 6th, or March 16th or 17th. Uh, Oregon is right up there with Vermont, the excitement that's occurring in, in the United States right now. Of course, every state in the union has an artisan cheesemaker now, even even Alaska. Uh, but um, actually, there are probably more in Alaska than there are in places like Southern Florida. But uh, it's uh, not that surprising, actually, when you think about it. But um, but I, I'm excited to see uh, new cheeses, and I hope that I get to judge at the ACS conference again uh, this year in Des Moines. I'm sure they'll do that for you. Well, for me. Um I just like to be selling cheese, doing what I love, doing this radio show. If uh, the lovely folks at the Heritage Radio, you know, don't fire me for indecent exposure back here in the radio <laughs> booth, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll be I'll be back for another uh, for another season. And um, yeah, just there is uh, that big fish tank window out to the dining room. It's, temp- it's tempting. It's <laughs> it tempting, is. Greg. I just want to do a one pantsless show. Come yeah. on. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, so I want to say thanks so much for everybody for tuning to everybody for tuning in, and uh, thank you to our superstar guests Anne, Max, and Matt. Um, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Um, if you can't get enough of us and need more cutting the curd in your life, we're taking over Heritage Radio's Instagram this Friday and Saturday, December eighteenth and nineteenth. So be sure to follow us on at Heritage Radio and follow us while you're at it on Cutting the Curd Instagram. So take care. Happy holidays. Thanks, everybody. Hey guys. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>